warm welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Britannia podcast, a very British podcast about very British movies, with just a hint of professionalism. If you could hear us just laughing about two seconds ago, there's certainly no hint of professionalism pre-recorded. We probably won't continue with any professionalism whatsoever, as I'm joined by Stephen. Hello. Hello, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and Anthony today. Hello, mate. Hello. How's it going? Just to say that... I'm worn out already. Just from all all the pre-recording banter. We just managed to do a mash-up between the Carry On series and Salo. That's that's literally what the conversation was based upon just before we came on air. Am I right to say I actually chose this movie? Yes. Oh, there was was an accusatory sort of yes there from (laughs) Anthony. What's absolutely bizarre is that we've we've just had exactly the same experience of this film, haven't we? We just had a very yeah, a very brief conversation (laughs) about it, and my history with it before we go into the trailer, which I'm assuming is going to be amazing because I haven't seen the trailer. It was a film that I thought I loved because it fell into that wheelhouse that Stephen is fully aware that I love. 70s and 80s gangster, British gangster type movies, you get Carter's, your Long Good Friday, that sort of thing. Mm. And it's always sat there with them. But watching it last night, (laughs) (laughs) it has some moments. It has some Mm. moments that I adore. There are some bits in there that now really do bug me. So (laughs) It's brilliantly entertaining. I was, you know, I totally enjoyed watching it. It's just when I found out who the writers were, the director, it was just, it was a just bizarre experience. Okay, let's <laughs> go into one, that. Not a bad one, <laughs> It's 1971, it's Richard Burton, and it's villain. He lives in a quiet suburban street in London. A good son to his mother. Morning, Mum. Oh, it's morning. you a nice cup of tea. Nice soft voice. Hello, Benny. <laughs> This man wields power through violence. Makes respect a dirty word. Respect? Respect? You don't know what it is. Unless you're big taken, tell him somebody, tell him. He's a nutter. He's a psychopath. Who are you looking at? You are looking at the face of a villain. frightened of the take-ins of our world. The hard cases have put the boot in. Let's go! Richard Burton as Vic Dakin. A riveting portrait of villainy. If you don't tell me where that money is in ten seconds... He 
Ian McShane as Wolf. He'll do anything to anybody for a percentage. Wolf? Get out of here. Slag. She's nothing but despair. That's a wrong. Villains. Putting the squeeze on the easy marks. Pathetic. That's what you are. Pathetic. Crushing the big boys. You've been novel, Dracut. And right. if I break that alibi, you and your position and your privileges and your committees are up short, Drake. Nigel Davenport as Matthews of the Regional Crime Squad. Who are you looking at? You are looking at the face of a villain. Villain, released in the UK, 1971, directed by Michael Tushner, written by Dick Clement and Ian Lafrenet. We will talk about that in a minute, as Anthony pointed out, starring Richard Burton, Ian McShane, Nigel Davenport, amongst others. The synopsis, the briefest of synopsis here, in 1970s London, Scotland Yard orchestrates the downfall of mob boss Vic Dakin after he crosses the line by blackmailing members of Parliament. There's a tagline here, by the time he's ready to kill you, it's an act of mercy. <laughs> <laughs> um, could have used that in the film couldn't they that line <laughs> somebody could have said it somewhere along the yeah. line can I turn to Stephen first have you seen this mate I had seen I think part of it towards the end but not the very end but I haven't seen the entirety of it so this is a, a first time watch for all the way through first time watch for you Anthony I believe no no I'd seen it um, a few times I remember recording it off the telly probably on a Friday night or something and then watching it the next morning and then yeah. probably saw it three or four times after that and then I saw it about must be ten years ago or more it wasn't quite what I'd remembered that's a, as you said yeah. yeah time has not been particularly kind to this compared to something released the same year such as Get Carter so it's going to say the elephant in the room is Get Carter isn't yeah it, really? This would make a perfect double bill with any other gangster movie. Now, in my, in my mind, it's not an A-list movie. It's sort of a B-movie of the gangster world now, even though it's got Richard Burton, Donald Sinder, Nigel Davenport in it. The shine has fallen off completely for me with this movie, unfortunately. But, as I said before we turn the mics on, there's some great bits in this that we need to talk about and some great performances. Stephen, just give us your overall impression, having watched it properly for the first time. What, you know, just a brief summary of, of how you got on with it, mate. Well, I think it was billed as being something that was incredibly gritty, crime, and quite complex with lots of interweaving plots that apparently were, for some people, difficult to follow. I don't think it, it, it was that difficult to follow. It was very, very straightforward, in my opinion, the, the plot line. Even where it seems that there's been some scenes that have been cut out for various reasons. It still made sense and wasn't hard to follow. There was, uh, yes, some, what at the time might have been ultraviolence, and um, you know, to put it more in the mold of some of the other films that we've discussed. But it maybe missteps and could have been something greater than it ended up being, I think. It was, it was entertaining to watch, and you know, stay as welcome in a sense. So there was some you know, stuff going on and some good scenes or good lines or even just some funny lines that were maybe meant to be funny. 
kept, it kept me watching and I wasn't watching the clock to see, you know, how long it had left or, or anything. But um, I think maybe it could have, it was a missed opportunity and it might have been one of the things. But there was, you know, some good performances in it and certainly interesting scenes as usual. Seeing, you know, the London scenery and people playing around in cars uh, of the day and such like. Interestingly, one of the bits of location was the same as uh, Melody that we've watched previously. So, bit of a contrast there. They're two completely different movies, but also one of the locations as well. I know we didn't review this together, but did you guys recognise sort of the location round about where the factory was with the bridge and the roads? Seen it before, something mm-hmm. like that. It's the offence, it's Bracknell. Oh, oh is it Bracknell, right, right. And we mentioned in the Bracknell review that the town of Bracknell is a character almost in itself because it's such a bleak location, one of those new towns that were being built in the 60s. Mm. And it was just, uh, visually, it was just strikingly part of the plot of the movie that it was just this oppressive town almost this oppressive feeling you got and I recognised it immediately I had to look it up just to double check it's bloody Bracknell out of the offence been from York virtually everywhere is a new town to me um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yes I, well, I, that, that explains why I recognised it but I couldn't quite place it mm. sometimes they are quite generically new towns as well well I'm assuming the the melody bit because that was filmed South London it must have been the bit in Battersea which was where Wolfie lived you could see the gas tower in the background, which was the old, um, not the Batsy Power Station, but part of a power station around that way, I think. Uh, no, I think it was the end scene, scene where they, you know, they had the uh, railway arches and where they had the, like, the council flats overlooking. Ah. Uh, I think it was that bit where the council flats are. I just want to say, while Stephen was talking, I was thinking a missed opportunity because you've really got a great cast, you know, all those guys, Joss Ackland, James Cossin, Stoll Sindon. Mm. And if you just took out, you know, because I, I was surprised when I saw who the writers were, I suddenly <laughs> thought, yeah, but all the comedy in this seems to be unintentional. Very you know? But the visceral violence, like I said, the visceral violence was amazing. You know, it was probably comparable with Get Carter. And the nasty bits were genuinely nasty. It's just, I don't understand really what they were going for this time. If you've got comedy writers, were you trying to make it funny? Because it didn't seem like they were trying to make it funny. It just seemed to come across as... You know, obviously with Burton's accent and everything, but unintentionally I, comic, wasn't it? I really? think the only deliberately comic part of it was the Joss Ackland character. Right, yeah. With his dodgy stomach. I think that was deliberately supposed to be funny, but the rest of it is based on a book, as we sort of touched on earlier. And from what I can make out reading the plot line of the novel, it's very true to what the novel set out. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yes, they are comedy writers and they are known for comedy. Was it The Likely Lads and... Was it Porridge they wrote as well, wasn't it? I've got it here. Likely Lads, Porridge, Love to Have We Designed Pet. But what was bizarre was that it was written by them from a treatment by Al Lottieri, who was Solozzo in The Godfather. It's like, what's going on? (laughs) So he's obviously got the gangster (laughs) pedigree, and it was directed by Michael Tuchner, who made The Likely Lads film a few years later. But why get comedy writers if you're not going to write a comedy script, or were they branching out, perhaps? But then didn't they... They've written other stuff since, they, and they, they stayed in. The, yeah, they did do other stuff that was more serious. I mean, oh, so they're not right. Yeah, they're not comedy. They're, they're, they wrote a couple of episodes of Lovejoy, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did. Shane, of course. Yeah. They, well, they
Oh, that's got quite a bit of comedy in it. And the the Aardman animation classic Flushed Away, you know, they were responsible for that as well. Oh, my favourite film, yeah. I watch it every day. (laughs) Flushed Away. Oh, and I'll tell you what they were responsible for, Across the Universe. Ah, well done, Scott, for the Beatles reference. Very very (laughs) good. I only had one that's just unbelievably tenuous. James Cossins. James Cossins. They also do, um... Was it them who did Still Crazy? I might have been crazy by thinking that. Let's have a look. Ian Lafrenet wrote Hannibal Brooks with Oliver Reed, which is a great movie. The Virgin Mm. Soldiers, Prisoner of Zender, Likely Lads. Ian Lafrenet was responsible for that awful All Saints movie, Honest. Remember All Saints, the girl... Did the All Saints make a movie after yeah, Spice World? Yeah, wonder where they got that idea from. Still crazy, yeah. Oh, it came, right, okay. came from a hard day's night, really, didn't it, Scott? Let's be honest. Uh, what the, yeah, the idea <laughs> of uh, yeah, semi-documentary, yeah. Well, yeah, look at 1964, they all did it, didn't they? Catch us if you can, and all of those jumped on the bandwagon ferry across the Mersey. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Salazzo from The Godfather doing mm. the treatment. Production companies is Alan Ladd Jr.'s, isn't it? Did you mm. notice that at the beginning? Who produced, you know, going right up to things like Braveheart and stuff like that. Oh, actually, he did Fear is the Key, which was Michael Tushner's next movie. Because you just mentioned Braveheart. There was something else good to say later about um, Richard Burton's accent. Do you remember um, Dennis Penis? Yes. Was it, was it Paul mm. Kay? Do you remember that? Paul Kay, yeah. yeah. It was like a spoof uh, journalist. So there was a there was a really funny bit where Mel Gibson was doing publicity for Braveheart. And they, were, they were in a big room. And Dennis Pennis is at the back of the room and says, Mel, having heard your Scottish accent, don't you think you should have got a stuntman to do the dialogue? And the whole room just pisses himself, and Mel Gibson's just sitting there absolutely you know, gutted. You know. anyway, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have expected him to lack humour. <laughs> For me, watching it this time round, as I say, The Shiner's fallen off spectacularly, mainly because I didn't realise just how bad Richard Burton's Cockney accent is in this. The performance he gives is absolutely superb. It's menacing, it's creepy, it's all the things he's supposed to be and all that we expect from Richard Burton. But for somebody that has given us great Shakespearean performances and all that stuff he did with Taylor and everything that we expect from Richard Burton just sort of flew out the window in more ways than one, if you remember the first scene. The first words he says is, go make a cup of tea, right? And it's like, yeah. I had to sort of like stop and say, hang on, is there something wrong with the sound on my movie, on, on my copy of the movie here? Because it sounded like it had been overdubbed by somebody that's, completely That's different. what I said to you the other day, wasn't it? Mm. I said, do they get a professional cockney to overdub it? Yeah. And it, it isn't oh, until, yeah. like, the conversation continues that you realise that that is the voice that Burton's using throughout the movie. Sorry, Stephen, you were going to say, mate. I should say it's, it's more mockney than cockney, isn't it? And they should have really taken the attitude that they did with Get Carter, where they had Michael Caine playing a Geordie and they just decided to just not even try and pretend that he was going to do the accent. <laughs> the same, as, same as they always did, you know, sure. um, same as they always did with Sean Connery. It was like, yeah. you know, there's a Scottish um, yeah, because submarine commander from Russia and there's also a, Scani- <laughs> a Scottish Spaniard. Scottish-Irish uh, so, as well. Yeah, and everyone was Scottish. So they maybe should have just said he was Welsh and had that, or... or <laughs> no, but I don't think they even needed to say he was Welsh. They just didn't make a thing of how Cockney he was. Yeah. I think, and if the script... The thing is, though, I go back to the same thing I probably say a lot, that it comes down to the script, because if you haven't got the, you know, the bullets in the gun, to use that mm-hmm. analogy, 
And it's just dealing with this really not a great script at all. But I, yeah, I think if they just, just keep the accent, don't make a thing of how Cockney he is. But then, you know, you've got him taking his old mum to the seaside and all that. It's just a bit too, uh. Well, this is know? the thing. It's, he's playing both the Cray brothers before Tom Hardy even got a look in, before Tom Hardy was even born. He's playing both of them. It's an amalgamation almost. Yes. Because of the homosexuality and the love of his mum and things, it's very sort of geared towards Ronnie Cray. I would say. Um, and Ronnie, great... was the, Ronnie was the more psychotic of the two. He was, probably, as yeah, well, yeah. He was, yeah. yeah. And, and there's this great line that Colin Welland and... Nigel Davenport? Colin, yeah, Colin Welland and Nigel Davenport, when they're talking about him, and they're talking about him taking his mum down to Brighton every Sunday, mm. plate of Welks, and then driving her back home at 30 miles an hour so she doesn't get hiccups. Yeah, and Colin yeah, Weller goes, he's not all bad. Yeah. <laughs> they were great. I should say, Nigel Danbot totally looked the part with his tash and raincoat. And yes. the banter with them, that was possibly the best bit of it, actually. You can't yeah. beat Colin Welland, can you, Stephen, mate? You know, he's no, 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 a favourite. What was he in? Was he in uh, Kez? Kez. Oh, yeah. it was, yeah, Kez. I knew I reckoned him. And he, he wrote Chariots of Fire, didn't he, as well? Uh-huh. Right, right. Yeah, those two characters, I think, is is a great sort of like sideline, you know. It, it, they're policemen that don't actually appear to be like policemen in any sort of way. You know, you see the home mm. life of Nigel Davenport. But then doesn't somebody say it must be bad because his only job, Nigel Davenport's only job, is Vic Bacon or something. Yeah. He hasn't yeah. got any other, any <laughs> other crimes to focus on apart from getting this man behind bars. Yeah. Frenzy was out the next year, wasn't it, after this? Because you remember we got the home life of that detective. Oh, that was with, amazing. With the, the foreign food and everything. Alec McCowan and... Um, Alec McCowan and Vivian yeah, Merchant. Vivian yeah. Merchant, yeah. There was a bit of that as well. But they were really good and the lines, like I said, the lines seemed to be quite good between them. They were sort of cynical but quite upbeat at the same time. Yeah, they stand out for me. Joss Ackland stood out for me. Brilliant. Probably the only deliberate element of comedy and as you said, Anthony... There is a lot of unintentional comedy. Mainly, it focuses around. I don't know. Is it every time? <laughs> every time Richard Burton beat somebody up, it was that look that yeah. he had. He was looking away, and it was trying to give this air of complete madness. But it just looked like he was in pain himself. You know. Well, I think I think he was obviously a full blown alcoholic by then. I was reading yeah. a bit of trivia, and Ian. Then, if you saw this on YouTube, there's a short interview with Ian McShane. And uh, Burton was on the source at 8.30 in the morning. And look, Shane uh, reluctantly joined him a few times. <laughs> and then uh, just one funny thing that he said. Apparently Burton said to look, Shane, oh, I like you, you remind me of Elizabeth. I don't know in what yeah, way. That's but, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other thing that's comical is, is Burton, is Vic Dakin as a spurned lover. All that, I need you, and all that. It's just that. on his face. But I did like the bit, I mean, I'm not saying I like it, but it was interesting the bit that when they did have sex, he beat him up first. I mean, that was menacing, you know. He was menacing. And then when we did the Michael Caine and we were talking about that, that slightly drunken masterclass he did. Yes. And he was saying it's all in the eyes. And obviously Burton's got all that experience. It's all in his eyes. But it's just some weird lines. and Like I said, it just yeah. looked comical, you know. Well, they did cut the rest of that scene. There was an actual love scene of them in bed. Yeah. Is that, that right? Scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's the scene that they cut out, which I don't know how you. Yeah, I don't know how they would feel either, because on one sense, 
you might think from their perspective, oh, well, at least that's not footage out there for people to be constantly referencing and pushing under mm. my nose and, and all this kind of stuff if they weren't necessarily comfortable with it. Mm. But on the other side, there might be a, well, I went through all of that, you know, probably a, a couple of days of filming that scene and then it's been taken out, so I did all of that for nothing. <laughs> uh, so maybe, uh, might be a bit of a... What a would that scene look like? What would that well, sound look like? Would it have all been romantic music? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I read something that implied that there is a, a, a version out there that still has it in that's just been subsequently released a more fuller version. Yeah, they was expecting it to be on the latest Blu-ray release and it still isn't. Um, right. I think there might be just a little bit more. Maybe um, they're waiting for Ian McShane to die and then... <laughs> oh yeah, then they'll just release it. So the, the other bit that made me laugh is when Ian McShane's with his girlfriend. Yeah. And she turns up and she thinks he's got another woman in the room. And then Richard Burton <laughs> comes out. <laughs> I just couldn't think that. <laughs> this is the thing. They were quite brave in sort of tackling homosexuality head on, you know, in 1971 here. Mm. But as you just pointed out as well, Anthony, <laughs> there's still some of those almost carry-on type stereotypes where Burton is this prissy, jealous lover. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, leave him alone, you bitch, sort of thing, you know. <laughs> it's almost bordering on that at one point. When he says, I need you, Wolfie, <laughs> Exactly, and if that was done in his own voice, that might have been a bit more convincing. And that's the, di- again, it's the dialogue. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty obvious, fine, but yeah. But in his own voice, but may- maybe he was uncomfortable, I don't know. He probably thought it was a bit weird himself, you know. Yeah, he, he made some very iffy choices between sort of mid-60s to his death in 84. You know, the the guy that we knew and loved that made some great movies up to about 1965 suddenly started picking some very strange movies. But I don't know, was this possibly because Get Carter was being made and he thought, you know what, that young lad Kane's going to, you know, get one up on me again. I need to do something a bit more hard-hitting. I don't know. I don't know. I think he did did say that he he was trying to be more varied and, and less typecast in, mm. in the roles. But then on the other side, subsequent to this film, there's people who, who are of the opinion that this was where his career took the nosedive and never recovered. So I don't really know whether it was a wise choice in that, I suppose. Yeah. He was happy with what he was doing, I suppose that's more important than the box office receipts, although he did actually have give up his... Um, big paycheck in order to have a cut of the box office receipts. Oh, that's right. Thing. But, yeah, but it might have, been more, might have been slightly more important, the box office receipts, than, than just the joy of filming, I suppose, with this one. Yeah. But some of the other people were great, weren't they? Donald Sinden. Donald Sinden, brilliant. Seedy politician. Oily is the word I would describe Donald Sinden in this. There's also that bit where Donald Sinden turns up to the very posh house party with the girlfriend. Mm. And, and just leaves her there for Donald Sinden, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah. James Cossins, who was... Uh, I knew him from... Uh, he was in that episode of Faulty Towers, the hotel. The wine is corked. The wine is corked. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. Yeah. And he was in... Uh, what was that other film we did? Yeah, Oh, How I Won the War, that was it, yeah. Oh, of let's course, get, there you let's go. Let's just get out of the way. <laughs> and he was the one who kept saying, uh, I die in North Africa. I so, die in North Africa. Foreshadowing yeah. his own death. Yeah. <laughs> or telling us his own death the whole way. But he was really good as well. He was the guy on the inside, wasn't it, of the heist? He was the clerk, wasn't he? Now, stepping away from talking about the actors and the actresses in this movie, the heist itself is a brilliant set piece, the car chase. Mm. I really loved that. I thought that was really well set up. And I think it really shows 
well, uses the technology of the time and stuff to actually be part of the set piece, you know, with the, the case where the spikes come out and all yeah. these kind of things. And showing, you know, that a heist doesn't always go exactly to plan and then how they, they get, you know, how they quickly just decide to just go for it. I think that was perhaps a part of the opportunity that was missed because although they did it well in the small glimpse that we had, it, it was very much a side bit that wasn't really the point of the film. The, the, the heist was just something for them to hang other things on. Don't they say at the beginning is something they don't usually do? They don't normally do flags or armed yeah. robbery? Yeah, they say because uh, they're more gambling, protection. The, the protection money, the, the pimping, all that kind of stuff. They say it was some other gang that does, you know, armed robberies. Both the two gangs, him and the one uh, run by... T.P. Um, McKenna. T.P. McKenna. Um, yeah, saying that, you know, neither of them, in their manners, is, is that their modus operandi or yeah. crimes, but it's too big an opportunity for them to miss. I love the heist, but then even within that, you know, they've got those stockings on their heads, haven't they? Yes. Instead of balaclavas, they've got stockings. Even that looked a bit stupid as well. I don't know. That was the headgear of choice to certain gangs. Oh, was it? Okay. Stocking oh. masks. Yeah, definitely. But uh, it was very well filmed, yeah. Yes, yeah, so again, it make it a strange film, isn't it? I've never heard... I can't think of another heist film where the heist is so brief in the middle. I suppose Asphalt Jungle, the, most of it's the aftermath, isn't it? It is, yeah. And, and for this, it's not, not the point of the movie, almost. It's more a character yeah. study. Definitely, of, yeah. Of Vic Dakin, and also people like Donald Sinton's character as well, you know. And, and incidentally, stuntman, possibly stunt coordinator, Vic Armstrong, of course, so... Mm. You can't go wrong with Vic Armstrong behind the, uh, you know, behind the stunts. Mm. Have you seen uh, White Heat? Because I've never seen that. This is supposed to be slightly based on that. He's in a way, because mm. Cagney was yeah. the mother-loving criminal, wasn't he? Made it my top mm. of the world, that's White Heat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah there's a common theme in that respect, but then I think there's a, that carries out through quite a number of characters that are villains, as it were, that, um, you know, they have this almost pathological dedication to their mother. Yeah. And it's a trope that exists. I wonder where that started. Maybe that was a start with Cagney. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think there's a possibility that it derives from Italian gangsters, who obviously the matriarch of Italian families is usually fairly, uh, you know, you don't just respect the mother. So that could be it. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, let's go back to the characters. Let's go back to the actors and the actresses and the crew. Stephen, grab your keys. I want to take a little walk up to the Hall of Fame. I'll be intrigued to know who's in there this week. Let's have a look. Hall of Fame, Stephen, our curator, diligently makes a list of everybody that's appeared in all the movies, and he works out if they've been in three times or more when they get inducted into the Village Hall of Fame. And we've got some very famous names here, Stephen, but I don't know, are they sort of like frequent flyers into the into the hall? Not necessarily, no. Mm. Some of them are, are, are quite rarities, really, the mm. people who are, who are having 
frequent appearances due to this film are the ones that are the, the lesser-known stalwarts that we yeah. celebrate, but aren't the ones that everybody else really knows. Certainly when it comes to second appearances, the six that we have, we have Joss Ackland, who was previously in uh, Seven Days to Noon, Richard Burton, Look Back in Anger, and Ian McShane, who was in performance, as well as John Comer, Heavens Above, uh, Eric Mason, Man for All Seasons, and Michael Robbins, Prize of Arms. So those are the big names from this film, really. Yeah. But yeah, they've not appeared in a lot of the things that we've previously done, which okay. um, is what we always say. But there yeah. are some of the there names are, we know and love, aren't there, in there here? Are, yeah, <laughs> there are. But um, as far as making their debut in the Hall of Fame, by mm-hmm. virtue of three appearances, we've got um, James Cousins, which is hey. Power Wonder War and Melody, John Hallam, Offence and Wicker Man, and Donald Tinden, who'll hey. see in Doctor in the House. Really? We'll have Donald in there. Sorry, um, what was that Doctor in the House and what was the other one? We'll see. Was it in Scott the Antarctic as well? No, I don't or think so. Or am I imagining that? Okay, no, that's great. Think cruel yeah. sea, though. Cruel sea, that's probably what I'm thinking of as a sailor. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Four appearances, we've got one person there, which is the aforementioned Colin Willand, who was Chariots of Fire as a writer, Kez, and he was also in Sweeney. Yes. Yeah. One person making their fifth appearance, which is Johnny Shannon. Okay. Who is in Absolute Beginners, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of great movies, yeah. <laughs> Performance, Sweeney exclamation mark, and that'll be the day. Six appearances, we've got three people there. Nigel Davenport, who obviously is, is one of the more recognisable yeah. people in this film. Uh, Charity of Fire, Entertainer, Look Back in Anger, uh, Man for All Seasons, and Deacon Tom. Colin McKenzie, Dr. No, Gideon's Day, Long Arm, Night to Remember, Great Mass 2, so we have got a Night to Remember finally. Um, so a special <laughs> we're going to do a special Klaxon for Night to Remember or Sound of a, of a Ship Sinking or something yeah, like that. Yeah. into an iceberg, yeah. yeah. And Terence Plummer, Eagles Landed, League of Gentlemen, Long Good Friday, Reach of the Sky, Robert and Sexy Big. So I'm not sure whether Terence Plummer is, is uh, related to anybody else called Plummer, but I doubt it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. One person making their seventh appearance, which is uh, Anthony Sega. Carry on, Constable, carry on, Nurse, carry on, Regardless, carry on, Sergeant. And then he also did Dad's Army and X the Unknown. Recognised him this time round, yeah. yeah. Well, they, you know, obviously he seems to be in virtually every carry on so far. Yeah. And then uh, making eight appearances, we have Pauline Chamberlain. So one of the Chamberlains is uh, is in this. Yeah, we don't know if she's related to Cyril though, do we? This is the thing. We don't know, uh, <laughs> don't know if, uh, if there is a, a relation there, but, um, you know, we, we do love a Chamberlain. Frenzy, Hell Drivers, Mr. Blunden. Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, uh, The Reckoning, and Wicker Man. And then we also have Jeff Silk. Yes, um, uncredited uh, police officer, yeah. Yeah, him and his, his brother. Um, his, his brother is also one of our frequent flyers. Okay. Um, his brother's name is Jack, I think. Jack Silk, yeah. So Jack Silk and Jeff Silk keep sort of buying to move their appearances on and this one puts them on equal pegging of eight each so there's some kind of rivalry going on that we didn't even realise was happening they're, they're having this fraternal rivalry but uh, Jeff Silk was in Doctor in the House uh, Heavens Above Man of the Moment Night to Remember One Good Turn Private Progress and Reach of the Sky one person making their ninth appearance uh, Tony Castleton Doctor in the House Heavens Above 
Hundred turn, nice to remember. Quick to Master Two, Feature this guy, the Rebel, and Troubling Star. I don't even um, remember him from any of those. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so um, ten appearances. We've got one person, which is George Spence, the Crush File, Lavender Hill Mob, Mummy. Nice to remember. One good turn. Pull of London, Ranger Frankenstein, Seven Days to Noon, and Young and Innocence. Okay. And then, and then finally, yeah. we have making sixteen <laughs> appearance. Up here in Yorkshire, Guy Standeven. Yeah. <sighs> Chariot of Fire, Fishcore Wonder, Georgie Girl, Hope and Glory, Lolita, Long Arm, Man of the Moment, Night to Remember, One Good Turn, Prime of Miss Jean Brody, Prime of Progress, Christmas Experiment, The Rebel, The Reckoning, uh, and Robbery. <laughs> 16? Yes. Is he top now? I think he, he is still, yeah, top. <laughs> Above Victor Harrington? Yes, as far as I'll just double check that. No, equal with Victor Harrington. Wow. So. 16. Right, can, can we just go back to Mr. Silk? How many appearances is that for Mr. Silk? Mr. Silk is Mr. Eight. Silk. Eight, right. Now, he's billed in this as police officer, uncredited. Okay. There's 87 acting appearances by Jeff Silk. Well, I haven't looked at his brother yet. But I'm just going to run these down from the top, right? Not all of them, because this is... Just see if you can spot a theme here. Bloodbath at the House of Death. Policeman at Crime Scene. Burning an Illusion. <laughs> Policeman. Porridge. Police Constable. Give Us Tomorrow. Police Constable. Superman. Bus Driver. The Comeback. Police Officer. Yes, Honestly. Speed Cop. Hogsback. Motorcycle Policeman. Brannigan. Policeman Uncredited. The Sweeney. Policeman. Psychomania. What are you trying to say? Well... Yeah. He's he has his own uniform. He's a master done. Let's, let's, let's get him, because he's got his own uniform. It'll say him on the costuming. Yeah. Well, here we go. Look, Hermes Fred, German officer on motorcycle. Motorcycle cop in doctor in charge. Devil rides out, He was a stuntman as well. That's what right. it is. I think it turns out he was a stuntman as well as jury member in a couple of um, courtroom dramas and stuff. An advisor in the war room in Doctor Strangelove. But most of them are policemen, uncredited, or... Something to do with a motorcycle, you know. I think we're going to see a lot more of him. Because there's a load of stuff that he's been in. Loads, 87 I mean, different... To be fair, his brother, it, yeah. it was all the same kind of stuff. He was in Vicar, Police Outrider, uh, <laughs> Superdog, PC Robinson, Callant, Police Frogman. Um, <laughs> Frogman, excellent. There you all all coppers are, <laughs> Police Constable in uh, Demo, Doctor in Charge, Motorcycle Cop, Frenzy. <laughs> Police driver. Do you reckon yeah. that they, yeah, they brought their own motorcycles and, and literally and, that was it, and they had their own uniform? Police uniform, yeah. yeah. Look, I've got a heart. Can I be in this film? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I always like picking out things like that, finding somebody to focus on in future episodes, because we'll be looking out for Mr. Silk and his brother now. I'm sure we will. Yeah, every yeah. policeman will be looking to see if it's one of them two. <laughs> well, we'll never recognise him. Could you wear a hat? Yeah, we'll never yeah. recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to, as I say, you go down with, with Jack Silk. It's ninety percent playing policeman. Actually, so it's yeah. Jeff Silk's bio at the top of IMDb: stunt driver and background player. Jeff Silk, born in twenty-five, began appearing in movies, often uncredited minor roles in the mid-fifties. A tall, thin man with a sharp face and dark hair. Silk could frequently be spotted in a handful of films and TV shows, playing a policeman. It was usually either riding a motorcycle or driving a car. <laughs> that's, his, <laughs> that's his bio, it actually says. 
be looking out for Jeff Silk in every single movie because I reckon he's going to start creeping up if you get that Yeah, and be watching out because his brother is the same, as I say, with the number of films that he's been in because yeah. he was in about 70 films. So between, you know, between quite a lot of films and they're all playing this in the past. So I think we'll just be keeping an eye on which one's got top billing at the moment, which one well, makes it to nine, which one makes it to ten and, and see who gets the double figures first and stuff because there's a, there's a rivalry. We'll have to see if they appear in a movie together or whether they shared the bike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tandem, tandem, yeah. There might only have been one bike, you know, so it's like, no, Jeff, I'm using it this week, I'm doing the carry-on movie, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, I need it, I need it next week, I'm doing Psychomania. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. I love the Hall of Fame. Thank you very much for your hard work on that once again, mate, as always. Amazing. One thing, thing, to, one thing to remember. Yeah. One thing to mm. pick up on from it, though. Just an observation from me. Only one woman. It's a very male-heavy cast, actually, isn't it? I think there's mm. a couple of couple of famous faces on the actress side of things. Fiona Lewis was a bit of a famous sort of it girl of the 60s. Who else did I see? Lindy Miller. Cheryl, Cheryl Hall as Judy. She was famous. She was Wolfie Smith's girlfriend in Citizen Smith. Mm. But oh, was Wolfie again. Wolfie, Wolfie again, yeah. Wolfie again, <laughs> Someone described Ian McShane in a review that I read as a very pretty Dudley Moore in this movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the hair. That's a good spot, actually. Exactly the same hair. Dodgy, curly hair. Yeah, very He was good, though. Uh, he, I think the film just all hinges on whether you buy Burton, isn't it? And yeah. I bought him some of the time, but not, you know. I still say that his performance is amazing apart from the accent. He still managed to creep me out. He still had this air of menace, sort of unhinged. You know, he could explode at any point. The scene in the toilet where he backs the guy into the urinal. Yeah. Yeah, Donald Sindon taking a puddle, yeah. Yeah, that, without actually touching him, is still menacing, you know, that he actually forces an MP to stand in his own piss. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where you get some of the dialogue following up with the with Nigel Davenport coming in and he's saying, no... Now there's sergeant, and he's going, no, it's inspector now. He goes, no, the promotion came through, did it? Um, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, um, That's good, you know. Anthony, I was going to say, you had some specific lines of dialogue you wanted to share. That yeah, I think, I've already, yeah. I think <laughs> I've already shared a couple of them, but yeah. Uh, what was it? Obviously, yeah, he says, don't leave me, Wolfie. <laughs> <laughs> One time he says, I need you, and then he says, get out of here, slag. Slag, um, he used the word slag. He did use the word slag, yeah. <laughs> uh, where's the other one? God, I've lost it. And then, yeah, just at the very end, oh, maybe I was off mic, yeah. He goes, I've been taken! And the police officer says, you used to be. You used to be. That's a great final sort of like ending to the... To the but that movie, last, the last bit where he says, who are you looking at? That was all right. That was quite good. Yeah, yeah. Because he's looking around and like, obviously he's completely fucked. You know, he's... Because he's, he kills yeah. him... They turn up as he's killing him. Who does he kill at the end? I can't remember. Just happened. Oh, just happened. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. And the police are right there, so he's obviously... He's yeah. done. But there's, there's a few bits that come across as... From the outside, as a northerner, come across as caricature dialogue of Londoners. Mm. Uh, you know, when they go, oh, he's losing a lot of claret, and it's, you know... Yeah, you're saying claret, just, just that alone. Yeah, there was just, one that stood out for me, and I've never heard anybody use this, where he gives James Cossins a couple of hundred quid and he says, here's a couple of centuries. <laughs> Never heard it, well, only in dodgy movies like this. Oh, there was another one, sorry, I missed the best one. You festering pig. 
Festering Pig. Festering Pig, he calls Joss Atkins. She reminded me, I'm sure in Mercy on the Bounties, he calls him an un, he calls Bly an unholy pig or something like that. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but I, you know, I definitely recommend people watch it. You know, it's definitely entertaining. It's just perhaps entertaining in the way that it wasn't quite meant to be. I agree. Yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> spot on there with it. Okay. As Scott said, there are some real good performances in it, including mm. Tom. Richard Burton and it could have just done with somebody just going yeah don't bother with the accent let's just leave it um, and that, leave it it's not worth it um, <laughs> so um, and that might but maybe his own professional pride as an actor he felt he could do it and, and that's one of these Dick Van Dyke no I can I can do the accent but I think it, yes it was entertaining but as you said maybe not quite as it was meant to and obviously we're looking back on it it's doesn't feel as gritty and visceral maybe as it did at the time because we're used to Tarantino and, and etc and that's something that wasn't at the time there were other there were films coming out that were a bit more like that and this was a part of that curve I don't think it, it, it feels as shocking to us in that sense and which is why we're, we're able to see the funny bits in it more mm. than we might have been able to at the time, I can imagine this was quite hard-hitting. Quite groundbreaking as well, with the portrayal of homosexuality and the violence a little bit, you know. There was mm. just one other bit, there was a bit of a nod to get Carter. Then they blackmail Donald Sinden, because he's been filmed with minors. Minors with an O, sorry. Not, <laughs> not coal miners. They filmed with minors, because in Get Carter, isn't it, they, they got his niece, you know, she was only 15. They got her into a porn <laughs> film or something, wasn't it? So... Mm. It's a similar yeah. kind of thing going on there. Absolutely, yeah, there was that strong arming by, uh, by doing that filming and saying, oh, even, even though it's a bit blurry or a bit dark, you still, you know, still got him. And somebody who used to be marching with children and now sleeping with them all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's also elements of, um, sort of like the Profumo affair with regard to sort of MPs being dragged into the CD underworld, you know. Mm. There's loads of stuff like that. And again, loads. that's not looking back on that. That you know would have been awfully shocking at the time, whereas now mm. that's basically what you expect. Yes, yeah, part of the course, isn't it? <laughs> no. Yeah, nothing's nothing's too bad to drive them out of office. I was thinking like that you could have um, this could have come out a couple of years after Get Carter, and they could have got the same person to write it, maybe, couldn't they? Well, that you was know? based on the on the, the book as well, wasn't it? Get Carter. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was it? Jack's，我说Jack，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's，Jack's
and he took percentage of the profits rather than his usual million pound fee, which obviously turned out to be a mistake because it was a critical and financial failure. And according to uh, IMDb, it says here it ended his viability as a box office star. This was the movie that was the downfall, well, you know, the beginning of the end. Because do you remember some of that 70s stuff that Burton done? Have you guys seen the Medusa touch? No, I realised I had hardly seen any, any Richard Burton at all. So yeah. a gap in my film. Moment. Yeah, Medusa no. touch. And great movie. It's about a guy that can, he can see the future or he creates natural disasters or something it's I, I remember something vaguely about it being natural disasters his last yeah. film was uh, 1984 it was 1984 yeah, he was good in yeah. that that mm. scene in room 101 with the rats yeah quite, quite affecting yeah you yeah. talking about white heat Burton was eager to play the role of a gangster having been a great admirer of Edward G. Robinson James Cagney and Humphrey Bogart but he claimed he was sort of not blackmailed into <laughs> that's the wrong word didn't they say, what did he say? One of the producers said to him, oh, you'd never play an East End gangster, would you? Mm. And he could have just said no. <laughs> no I but he, I, I don't really buy that, but uh, anyway. And, and just touching back on Hall of Fame, Stephen, you mentioned the Sweeney, 1974, the first Sweeney movie. Yeah. All of these actors would go on to appear in the Sweeney. Joss Ackland, T.P. McKenna, Del Henney, Tony Selby, Colin Wellen, James Cossins, Michael Robbins, Godfrey James, Leslie Schofield and Cheryl Hall. All of them in this movie appeared in the screen. <laughs> oh, wow, well, yeah. That's incredible. I'll stick with the people you know. Yeah. So, general thoughts, guys. You know, for me, as I say, I, I still liked it. There's some great bits in it. I loved T.P. McKenna as the Irish, you know, the other gang leader. I love Nigel Davenport and Colin Welland together. Joss Ackland was brilliant. The heist I enjoyed. There were certain bits to it, you know, that really... Mm made it stand out but none of the Richard Burton stuff really did apart from the fact that I found he was quite menacing which was good you know he played the role well apart from the voice that's all I can say yeah it's a big good film to watch you know on a Saturday night with a couple of beers or something isn't it because you could mm. you could enjoy if that's the right word the violence or, or be affected by the violence but then have a kind of a bit of a chuckle at the same time yeah I, I wonder if Clement and Lafrene maybe we've got it all wrong and they, they knew it was a comedy <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they were <laughs> chuckling behind the scenes, going, "Oh yeah, yeah we've got this it. comedy's unintentional, but, but it's very <laughs> entertaining." Yeah, they definitely wanted, they wanted Ronnie Barker for the lead, but they Rodney Bues, yeah, but yeah, very entertaining. Definite recommendation. It's a definite recommendation as a B movie mm. to one of the other movies we've spoken about. We get Carter with the Long Good Friday, even mm. the Stanley Baker one we did, Robbery. Oh yeah, the yeah. Pete Yates movie, you know, which is a great film. Bang it on as a double bill with that. And performance as well, in fairness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Although performance might really show what this film could have been. True. Interesting to have a cut of performance with, well, not, not a full cut, but just to watch the gangster bits without all the Mick Jagger stuff. Yeah. To see how they hang together if you put them together, you know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot about performance. Yeah. We reviewed it last year. Might be the year before, actually. And, I'd forgotten the whole gangster element of it until I watched mm. it again. I just remembered the Mick Jagger sort of stuff and the psychedelic bits and pieces going on in the house. Mm. But it's a brilliant juxtaposition of those two worlds, isn't it? Mm. Great movie. Absolutely bored mm. watching it this time round. Okay, that's Villa, 1971. Anthony's going to come back very shortly with his choice of movie, which mm. you might have a little idea of what it is. But we don't. Well, I was thinking, why are, you, why are you doing the Village Hall of Fame? I've actually changed my mind. So. Oh, that's brilliant. So it's going to be a surprise. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. 
Okay, I was looking through your list and uh, I'm surprised you haven't done it, so I'm hoping. Okay, okay. But it's not it's not a modern film. It's not Carry On. It's it not. It doesn't fall scene. into any of those. Okay, they're the only ones we're doing, Stephen, aren't we? Apart from Norman Wisdom. Well, Norman Wisdom, Ken Loach, Makeley. Right, <laughs> so, so I've got a choice of about four films then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back after this. Villain from 1971, and as I said, Anthony is going to bring us our movie next time, and it is going to be a complete surprise because he sort of revealed what he was going to choose earlier, and he's now changed his mind. So that's good news. What have we got, mate? Right, yeah. Well, I was scrambling around while you were doing the Village Hall of Fame to find something, and um, since this is a gangster film that we've just done, I thought we could continue on that theme. So if I said gangster film, Bolting Brothers, 1948. I think it's 1948. Well, the so lady we got, No, we've got Richard Attenborough as... Uh, Brighton Rock. You haven't done this. You haven't done Brighton Rock. Oh, no. yeah. Excellent. Yes, Richard Attenborough as Pinky Brown. This has got a brilliant ending that's not... I've read the Grand Green novel, but this has got a brilliant ending. I'm sure you remember what it is that's not in the book. But we'll get yeah. to that, but... Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Again, it's uh, interesting because I haven't seen this for years, and I remember wondering if the lead character was a little bit comical in this as well maybe I he wasn't I need to go back and watch it I haven't seen it for years but I don't a... think he is I think he plays it Pinky Brown completely with menace in this if I remember yeah. right he's completely yeah. evil mm. the reason we'll we see. might not have done it Stephen do you remember the early days of the kitchen sink stuff when we very first started and it would have been we, we started yeah, off with it, it Always Rains on a Sunday or whatever yeah it was on the it was on the, the list of films that were that genre. Yes, of influence. But we decided to to skip it in preference for something else at that yeah. time. That's I good. That's what it was. So. That was yeah. the only reason. The only reason because it it sort of fitted in, as Stephen said, with films that were influenced by or influenced the kitchen sink drama. And we decided that it always rains on a Sunday. It was a perfect example of that late forties. Precursor, wasn't it? Yeah, I think and then said. we jumped to Call of London because yeah. I think I think one of the things that we were, we, we were concentrating on was that it was the kitchen sink side more than it was that gangster crime, but the realism. Um, so we we sort of went down a, a, a different track with that social realism rather than the the, the sort of crime side of it. Mm. Am I right in thinking that William Hartnell's in this? He is, yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, he's his right hand man. Yeah. Yes. Uh, do you know who else somebody, is in it? Who do you really, somebody else. Uh, who do you really adore from the uh, Village Hall of Fame? Harry Anstone. Yeah. <laughs> I just saw he was in it. I thought, <laughs> yeah, I'll do this is. one. For that reason only, even. And Pauline yeah. Chamberlain is in it again, so she. Oh, ran. you're kidding! I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a quick look. And Victor Harrington. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> Those Silk Brothers riding motorcycles, though. 
some detectives though, so maybe <laughs> there might be one of those uh, as a police um, yeah. guys. There's Cyril Chamberlain, Pamela Chamberlain, and Pauline Chamberlain in this movie. Uh, Marianne Stone is lazy waitress. Oh, I can't wait to see her as a lazy waitress. What does a lazy waitress do? Just not serve the customers? Yeah. Well, that's a hanging out outside of her mouth. She oh, will right, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, you've got Victor Harrington as a hotel guest. Wally Patch is in it, Stephen, as oh, Bill, yeah. uncredited. Oh, this is going to be good. I haven't seen this for a while. I mean, we've all seen this, haven't we? Yes, yeah. yeah. Not for yeah. so long, though. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And this nicely ties in with... Hang on, am I getting this right? Did Graham Green write The Third Man? Yes. Which we yeah. did for episode 100, didn't we? So. Yeah. The reason I mentioned, like, comical, it's not it's not that Richard Attenborough would play it like that, but some of the old gangster films are, can be a bit like that. If you watch them, you know, 80 years. It'd be 80, 75 years later. Oh, but, uh, I remember old. it's good, though. Yeah, 1948. <laughs> That's a very good choice, mate. Absolutely looking oh, forward to that one. Thank you. Okay, that's it for another episode of Real Britannia. Thank you to Stephen and thank you to Anthony. See you all very soon, Podcast. guys. Take care. Oh. Okay, thanks to Stephen and to Anthony. Before we go, Anthony, I must get you to mention your other podcasts. I never really talk about them, to be honest, so... Uh, not much. But if you're, <laughs> if you're forcing me... <laughs> yes, Glass Onion on John Lennon had lots of good guests, Scott Phipps and a few other people. Oh, yes. And um, Film Gold, you've both been on it. We did uh, Sleuth, mm. Scott's been on it a few other times. And then Life Life Only is about psychology and alternative media. And thanks for having me on again. Wonderful stuff. Thank you for being there, mate. That's it for now. See you soon, guys. Take care. See you later. Thank you. the end boys we've done our duty we can go now a positive shower bon voyage good luck thank you British hand up, sir. I'm sick of pains. Stop engines. Stop engines. <laughs>